Missions isn't always about going to the, the ends of the earth. Missions starts right here. And there are many people around us uh, that we come in contact with every day, um, people on, on, on the pueblos and, and you know, just everywhere that need to hear that hope that we have. And so this morning we're going to be able to hear from, from the two guys who are doing it here, you know, right, right close by. Um, and so if missions isn't about you going overseas, there are many, many opportunities right here that uh, you can partner with these guys or others that, you know, to, to do uh, the, the mission call that, that God has for each of us. So um, for those of you, I'll start with, with Chad since he'll start first. Um, many of you may know Chad was here at, at Hoffmantown for a number of years in, in the youth area. Um, and my son, you know, was, was involved in some of those things. And so I appreciate, uh, you know, the, the work that, that he was doing here. And then when he had the call to do something else, you know, this, he, the, the, God doesn't waste anything. The relationships, the, the things that we do every day um, will come together in, in God's timing. And so nothing, nothing is ever wasted. And so uh, if we remember, you know, Chad is married. Uh, his wife Deanna. They have five kids. Um, yeah, <laughs> five kids. It's not a missionary kind of thing, right? You know, missionaries, lots of kids. It's got to be it. So, yeah, it's a multiplying thing. Um, and, and right now, he he is serving uh, as as a, a church planting catalyst. Now, I have to explain what how he's a catalyst, but you know, that's 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 uh, what we'll talk about for the North American Missions Board. And and really, what he's looking at is is revitalizing churches, um, whether it's churches that, that need to have some energy put back into them or, or even to reach like the younger generation. You know, this setting isn't really necessarily conducive for everyone. And so he's finding ways and opportunities to, to uh, you know, maybe plant new churches that start from a different perspective. And so We'll have Chad come up and give you more of the details, but uh, it was great hearing him a few days ago, so I'm sure you'll be blessed by this. So, Chad, come on up. So, like I mentioned uh, Wednesday night, it's, it's just a pleasure to be here again and uh, to be uh, just home, you know, because when you, when you move away from home, you go to college, you set up your own your own place, and then you revisit places that you've been before. It's just like rekindles a lot of emotion and a lot of memories, and it's just, it's just good to be back. So thanks for the opportunity to come back and, and just share. Um, but let me just talk a little bit about what being a church planning catalyst, a CPC, if you would, is. Um, and let me start by saying this. Every living thing <clears throat> reproduces. So in another word, you could say every living thing multiplies, okay? So as a member of Hoffmantown Church, one of the privileges that I had was to kind of walk through the membership class. And one of the specific things that I shared with new members was that we as the church are not an organization, we are an organism, right? And we are alive and breathing. And that's not just Hoffmantown. That's church in general. That's the big C church. The church is an organism, not an organization. And so as, as we look at the church as an organism, 
it needs to reproduce, and it needs to multiply as well. We have 46,000 SBC, Southern Baptist churches in North America, and about 80% of those 46,000 are in decline. And so a number of years ago, the North American Mission Board began to readjust and reprogram the way they did things. And so one of, the, one of the key instruments that they created was a job called the Church Planting Catalyst. So in essence, my job is to be a missionary to New Mexico. And so as a missionary to New Mexico, my main objective is to partner with existing churches to help them to develop strategies or even reinforce the strategies that they already have to be reproducing multiplying churches and then in conjunction with that is to identify new church planters that either want to come in from other areas into New Mexico or that are being raised up indigenously that want to church plants it plant churches across this the, the state so in essence I am helping and coming alongside the churches to help them to multiply and help individuals to come in and start new churches so that I'm just helping the organism grow. Now, we mentioned Wednesday night that out of that 80% that are in decline, only 16% are adding. And so that would be a disciple making a disciple, making a disciple, making a disciple. Now, multiplication is much more impactful there's only about 4% that are multiplying churches, so that a church that's multiplying another church, so it's not just one new disciple, it's a whole group of disciples that are going to reach an entire different context. So their impact is going to be much more significant than one disciple making another disciple making another disciple. So let me, let me just kind of speak to that impact for a minute. If we had an amazing evangelist in this room that was dedicated to discipleship and evangelism, and they were able to reach one person every day of the year, 365 days a year, and they were able to reach them, share the gospel, and Jesus was able to come in and, and prick their spirit, and they realized that they needed to be saved. After 16 years of 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1, you'd have three to 4,000 people that would come to Christ that would be disciples. But if you have a multiplier, one person that would be in investing in two people and then those two people investing in two other people, and that multiplication, 2 times 2 times 2, times two. At the end of 16 years, you'd have over 16,000 people that would come to Christ. So multiplication is much more impactful than addition. So let me go back to that statistic. We've got 80% that are in decline. We've got 16% that are adding, which is great. And we only have 4% that are multiplying. And so within that, the two areas that the North American Mission Board has cast for me to work with in New Mexico are that 80% declining 
and that only 4% multiplying because we need to make a larger impact on lostness. Dr. Bunce at the Baptist General Convention in New Mexico shared about six months ago with us in an executive board meeting that within the next five years, 40% of our churches may close the doors. They're part of that 80% that are in decline. They're just not going to make it. So working within that 80%, we desire to step in and be able to help revitalize and potentially, if needed, completely replant that church. Because one thing that we don't like to see, and I don't think any of you would like to see, is a church close its doors. Mark Clifton, the senior director of the replanting efforts at the North American Mission Board, wrote a book, and the book is titled Reclaiming Glory. And the reason that he wrote this book is he wanted the church to recognize that when churches completely close the door, the surrounding community then gets a bad taste for what the true glory of God is. Think about just the psychology behind someone that lives in a community where a church closes the doors. What does that tell them about who our God is? It's not a good representation of who we know him to be, is it? So what we want to do is we want to reclaim that glory, come in and help revitalize with new ideas, with people, with resources, and potentially even replant. So that's how we're approaching that, that 80%. And then the 4%, we're wanting to come alongside churches like Hoffmantown, like, like others in our association and across our state, and even in other states. Um, there's a church called Hope Church that's in Vegas that uh, has an entire internship program with probably 50 to 60 men that are going through this program and assessments to be able to go into North America and plant churches. And so we partner with churches like that to be able to help accomplish these things so that we can com continue to impact lostness so that this 4% thing becomes 5%, becomes 8%, becomes 10%, and then we can continue to give a better representation of what the church truly is to a lost world that is not really seeing the glory of God in its fullness. If we look at John chapter 17, and I'll just give you a brief overview of Jesus' prayer, his prayer was simple. God, bring your church together. Unify them as we are unified so that one thing can be accomplished. So that the world will know that you are God. So the world knows that he is God when his church is unified. If 80% of our churches are in decline and we don't have an idea of going out and impacting lostness and making a significant impact, loving our communities and bringing new vibrant birth of churches in communities that don't have churches, they're not going to see the glory of God. They're not going to know who God is. It's just that simple. 
And, and honestly, this is not even something that we necessarily need to pray about. <laughs> we don't need to pray about how we need to be a better part of the church. We just need to do it. We need to follow the commands. We need to follow the principles. We need to follow the things that we know to be true in Scripture. And if we truly become a disciple of Christ that learns things and obeys things, learns things and obeys things continually, these things are the natural byproduct of that. Our churches will want to impact and go beyond. Our churches will be filled with people that the world looks at and says, I don't know what that is about them, but I want some of that. And that's, that's where we need to be. So let me, let me just share a brief scripture with you um, that I shared Wednesday night and, and kind of go into a little bit more than I shared um, then. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, Paul is, Paul is sharing with, with the church, and he's sharing the idea that it's not me that you follow. It's not Apollos that you follow. It's not any man that you follow. It's not based on anything that we can do, that we need to fix our eyes on God and that we need to follow him. And as we follow him, he will reveal the beauty of what his church needs to look like. The good thing about where we are now and where they weren't then is that we have the full revelation of Jesus Christ in the Bible. So we have a lot to obey, and we have a lot to follow. And if all we did was try to follow and obey the things that are written in Scripture, we would die before we ended. So there's a lot for us to follow in. So he says in verse 5, when then, or, or what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither who, he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. In other words, only God multiplies. Only God reproduces. Only God brings life to us dead men and women. And so as we walk this journey of bringing new life into our lives, then it is a byproduct to want to bring new life to others. And then when we see communities like uh, Eric is going to share that can't even have churches, our heart should be burdened for those that are 15, 20 minutes from here that can't even have a church in their community. So we need to be that church to share with them so that we can help them to know who God is. It's that simple. Now, like anything, everything has a strategy, right? And so as a church planting catalyst, there are specific strategies that I have or that, that we try to use to help prepare those planters, to help prepare those pastors that are revitalizing or that are replanting. And, and those, those strategies, many times, if not 90% of the time, are in churches like this. So we have strategies that we can bring alongside the church. The church doesn't have to create this discipleship program for pastors. And that we can come along and resource the church to be able to help then follow up with that. 
So if you're wondering about what it looks like or the pathway that a pastor has to walk through or navigate through, much of my time is, is spent on coaching and mentoring and helping uh, individuals walk through just their first, I'm interested, all the way into I'm fully engaged as a church planter. And we have a, a short video that kind of walks through the entire process so that you can see what we're doing in relation to equipping and preparing pastors and, and core teams to church, plant churches and revitalize churches. So why don't you take a, take a look at this video. You are here. You want to change the world. You're not alone. We do too. At the Send Network, we believe that the New Testament demonstrates that planning kingdom-focused, multiplying churches is God's timeless plan to change the world. Here's how we go about it. For a potential church planter, the first step into the Send Network is going to nam.net and clicking on Send Me. That begins the application process. The next step in the process is a pre-assessment. Are a potential church planter, his wife, and his ministry partners all wired for the task? Online tools here help them take the first steps towards answering that question. If the answer is yes, the next step is face-to-face, -face, a two-day assessment retreat. Through activities and interaction with a team of experts in context, assessors will examine a variety of areas and determine if a church planner and his wife are ready for the work. Pastors and leaders from a planter's potential sending church will also be involved in the process. They'll all give direction, prescriptions for growth, and next steps to those who might be called to church planting. Those who are planting within one of NAM's 32 send cities and are cleared to move on advance to a three-day orientation at the North American Mission Board. For church planners, this is their Welcome to the Send Network family. And as that family meets together, everyone focuses on and learns about brotherhood multiplication, and kingdom. These values influence every step of the SEND Network Planner process, especially the next final steps. After orientation, planters enter one of SEND Network's three training tracks, Multiply, Boulevard, or Replant. Multiply is for a church planner who probably already has ministry experience and a solid theological background. The training is designed to help a leader successfully plant a multiplying new church within a post-Christian context. Boulevard is for someone who may not have had extensive ministry or theological training, but are indigenous to their planting environment. It's a context and culture they intuitively know. Boulevard is biased toward the diversity and complexity of an urban setting. And finally, Replant is for planters who feel led to breathe new life into an already existing but declining congregation. This training is designed for leaders who have ministry experience and a shepherd's heart. Boulevard lasts eight months. Replant and Multiply last five months. Also at this stage, Flourish comes alongside church planning wives and, through online tools and a supportive local community, equips them to thrive on mission. Then finally, each planner is assigned a coach. This coach walks with them and their church plant for two years. But that's not all. Every Send Network church planner gets their own cheering section of experts and encouragers. Ascending Church, a church plant catalyst, a Send City missionary, and last but not least, our planter care ministry. Hopefully, the days of the Lone Ranger church planner are over. Through numerous strategic relationships, the Send Network gives church planners the best possible chance of starting a self-sustaining multiplying church, the kind of church that changes its community. After all, changing the world 
happens one neighborhood at a time. And so as Hoffmantown, you have an opportunity to be a supporting church or a sending church. So as you continue to pray through exactly where um, you want to align and what you are wanting to, to partner to do, supporting churches are those churches that we would say are more like a mom and a dad. They have more investment, they have taken more time and are going to take more time to continue as this church is being planted, kind of going off to college, right? That they're still there supporting financially, resourcing with people or with, with uh, discipleship programs or, or, or a number of different things. And then a supporting church would then be more like an aunt or an uncle that are still wanting to support and still sending some specific things and being partnered with that church, but may not necessarily be the point church. So as you continue to walk through, you know, how that walk looks for Hoffmantown, there are many opportunities for you guys uh, to partner with um, individuals in this state and beyond. It doesn't have to just be New Mexico that will allow those types of things to happen. Now, the cooperative program in New Mexico is, is where those funds would be uh, given. The Annie, Strong, Annie Armstrong Missions Offering. Um, and uh, the Annie Armstrong Missions Offering 100% goes to supporting individuals like myself and churches being planted and replanted across North America. So if you want to know where that money goes, 100% of it goes to that. Okay, and and as a cooperative program giving church that would give to the convention here, all those monies then are turned around to be able to be invested in church planting across New Mexico. And if God so brought you up to be ascending or supporting church, then there would be other opportunities for you to resource and be able to be a part. Does that make the difference? Is it your efforts that are making the growth? Absolutely not. It's just us being obedient and using strategies that have been put before us to be able to be obedient in being a disciple and being the people of God that he wants us to be and trusting God to do what only God can do, to grow, to multiply, to reproduce his church. Think about it. Staggering thought. Every church every church was planted. Now, one of the questions that you may have is the uh, strategic placement of some of the different areas. On that video, it said if you're in a sinned city. Albuquerque doesn't have a sinned city because the sinned cities are those that have the most lostness. For example, New York is one church in every 56,000 people. Okay, Canada, parts of Canada, it's one church for over 160,000 people. So they're putting a lot of their resources and their time into impacting those areas. The beautiful thing, though, is all the resources that go to those cities are also available to New Mexico. So as we fellow journey with hundreds of other people across North America, we can know that that God is at work and that God is growing his church and wanting to impact lostness and bring his church together so that the world can see and know who God is.
There's going to be some time for questions, um, and we can kind of back and forth over those things, but I don't want to take too much time away from Eric because some of the things that he has to say, I think, are really going to resonate with you. So, Eric, why don't you come on and share, man? I don't know about you guys, but after watching that video and hearing Chad, I'm ready to sign up. <laughs> that was awesome, Chad. Thank you. Um, it is, again, like Wednesday night we were here, and it is a privilege uh, to be here with you. And uh, if you kids came in here thinking it was going to be Children's Church, I apologize. Uh, it's not Children's Church today. I, again, I'm Eric Tiger, and I'm originally from Oklahoma and from Arkansas, and probably as I speak, you'll hear that, uh, that I am from Oklahoma and Arkansas. My wife and my family and I, we moved here uh, three years ago. It'll be three years this coming June, and we came out to reopen a small Christian school out on the Navajo Reservation that had uh, shut down, and uh, we came out, we were able to reopen it, and they have new leadership out there, and and uh, that's when I was working with Western Indian Ministries that's located just outside of Wendell Rock, uh, actually in New Mexico in a small community called Sabanito. Um, the end of January was my, um, I, I moved away from uh, Western Indian Ministry because we really felt like God was calling us back to the Albuquerque area. And uh, I uh, was able to get a school counseling job up in Bernalillo. And one of the things about Bernalillo is we have several Pueblos that are within our district uh, that, that we work with. And so through that, I've been able to get to know some of the, the people that are from the Pueblos and work with a lot of the kids. In fact, I think over 40% of our enrollment in Bernalillo are from the Pueblos. And, um, you know, at first I really just looked at it like a, like a job. And then over time, you know, God really burdened my heart with the Pueblo people because the more I learned about them, the more God burdened my heart about working with them. And um, so we've been praying about that, looking for opportunities to get in, uh, you know, to meet some people on the Pueblos. And, and uh, one of the ways that we were able to accomplish that is we have uh, several cowboy churches in Arkansas that come out every year, at least maybe two or three times a year. And, and all they do is they bring semi-loads of of wood. They bring beans and rice and clothing. And they wanted to take this to the Pueblo people. And so, you know, we were able to talk to the governors and they said, yes, but you cannot come and evangelize. You cannot pray with our people. We don't want you handing out anything, but you can come and drop that off. And the cowboy church, they were fine with that. They said, that's great. You know, we'll do that. And uh, so, you know, they've been coming out and the, the first time that they were on the Pueblo, everybody was a little leery about them being there. Uh, in fact, the governor sent somebody to watch them to make sure that they weren't doing, uh, you know, handing out things and evangelizing. But the more they've come, they don't send anybody. They just let them show up. And it, it's funny how that worked uh, because, you know, after a while, the people got to know them. The people would actually come to them and ask for the cowboy churches to pray with them. And so through that, we've been able to get a foot in the door in a, at least three or four Pueblos at this time and, and to get to know some of the governors and some of the people. In fact, one of the uh, residents of the Pueblo told this one cowboy church, the next time they come out, you don't stay in a motel, you're going to stay at my house on the Pueblo. And I got to tell you a funny story about the cowboy churches. And if you know me at all, I like to have fun. I like to tell jokes. I like to play around. And... Um, so I was speaking to the cowboy churches. I said, isn't it ironic that the cowboys are coming out to help the Indians? 
And they just sit there. I was like, no, it's funny. You can laugh. They're like, oh, okay. So, uh, so you know, that, that's one of the ways that, that we've been able to get in there. And so um, I'm very excited. Just Thursday, I actually accepted a position with the, I meant to say this right, the BCNM uh, as a Native American New Works strategist. It's not as cool as CPC. You know, you can, you can be really dignified and say, I'm a CPC. Or you can be like the young people, CPC. <laughs> With N-A-N-W-S, it's just, it sounds like I'm misspelling a word. And so that's hard. I'm the N-A-N-W-S, so whatever that is. But anyway... One of the things that I saw in working with the Pueblos, and this just blew me away, and people from back in Oklahoma and Arkansas, it, this still just blows them away that, that um, anything outside of uh, the Catholic Church and, and the Pueblo people's traditional ways and their ceremonies is not allowed on the Pueblos. Hoffmantown could not go up and start a new campus on the Santa Ana Pueblo. It is against the law. They have it written in their laws that that cannot happen. And so when I heard that, that just really blew me away because I came out to work with the Navajos, and man, they were just, man, just welcoming out there. And I go down sometimes and work with the Muscalero Apaches, and they're the same way. And so when I heard this about the Pueblos, that just really blew me away. And when I tell people back in Arkansas where we moved from, that they just don't really understand it. And I was laughing when you said you don't have to go to the end of the, end of the earth to, to, to do mission work. And people in Arkansas actually thought we were going to the end of the earth when I told them we were coming to New Mexico. Because <laughs> we came out and we were looking for a house and uh, somebody said, and this was an adult. They said, hey, if you don't find a house, you can live on the beach. It's like, where do you think New Mexico is? <laughs> I said, we need to do a better job of geography in Arkansas. But, you know, it just blows them away when I tell them about what's happening on the Pueblo. And then when I have friends come out and they drive by and see these huge casinos and see a lot of the nice houses that they're living in, they, they think, eh, you know, they're, they're doing okay. But this is definitely a case of don't judge a book by its cover. Because I work with these kids every day. And man, they know their, the things that they do in the Catholic Church. They know their traditional ceremonies that they do. But the one thing that they don't know is God. And the more and more I worked with the kids, and the more and more I worked with some of the families, it just it broke my heart. And I knew that this was the area that God was calling me into, is to begin to work with the Pueblos. Now, I know, I've, I think somebody the other night called me a Native American expert. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think that exists. Uh, because there are over, I think now, over 300 federally recognized tribes across the United States. And we're all different. I mean, you can talk to Chad's wife. We're, we're, I mean, we're, we're all different. I mean, me growing up in Oklahoma... Um, our, our tribe, the Muscogee Creek tribe, we covered 12 counties in Oklahoma. We didn't have a reservation. We just had a territory. And in that territory was one of the largest cities in Oklahoma, which is Tulsa. 
And so we grew up more in the urban, you know, rural areas, not on a reservation, not as tight-knit, you know, as a lot of the tribes and the Pueblos out here. And so, you know, it's, it's something that I'm continuing to learn about the Pueblos. But I do really believe that, that God is moving and he's opening up doors for us to do different types of ministries on the Pueblos. Because I believe that the things that we've tried in the past and the things that we've done in the past just didn't work. And one of the reasons that it didn't work is because years ago, when the Spanish came and tried to convert all the Pueblo people to Catholicism, the Pueblo people felt that they were going to lose their identity. They felt that they were going to lose who they were as a people. They felt that they were going to lose all their old customs and traditions that they used to do. So what they did is they began to do those in secret. Outwardly, they looked like a Catholic. But they began to do all their ceremonies and things in secret. And then over time, they began to combine the two, their, their Catholic beliefs, along with their, their traditional ceremonies. And, and that's what you see on the, on the Pueblos today is, is that combination and so any group that comes in there that is different from what they're doing, they will immediately put up a barrier and start pushing you away and not allow you in there. And so I believe that, that we're going to have to try something different. Just like churches have to evolve over time. I believe the work with the Pueblos and the reservations, we're going to have to evolve and, and we're going to have to approach this differently. And so I'm very excited about what we're going to be doing with the, with, the, with the convention. And so what my job is going to be is I'm going to be finding Native Americans, indigenous people to their pueblos and to their reservation that God has raised up and that God has called to minister to their own people. Now, I'm not the one to do that because even though I'm Native American, I'm from a different tribe, and so the Pueblo people won't always be that open to me. I have two strikes against me. I've been Native American, and I'm a born-again believer. And so what we're looking for is, are those individuals that God has placed a burden on their heart to reach their own people? And we want to begin to, to take them and train them like Chad showed on here, but again, to find churches that would be willing to come behind and become beside these people to support them, to encourage them, to help us plant Bible studies or churches in close proximity to the Pueblos. Now, I don't believe that, you know, in the next couple of years we're going to be able to plant anything on the Pueblos, but that's my prayer, <laughs> is that one of these days we're going to plant a church on a Pueblo. And that's my prayer, and I believe and I know God can do that. And so over these next few months, we'll be looking, like I said, for churches that can come along and help support these church planters or these ones that are wanting to start Bible studies close to the Pueblos. And so my job in that is just to bring all those people together. Now, the difficult thing that we're finding is, and I've talked to several Pueblo people, that when they come to know Christ and they live on the Pueblo, a lot of times 
the tribe turns their back on them, and even their families turn their back on them. I've talked to a lot of Navajos before, and one of the reasons that you know, it was hard for them to become a Christian is because they were told by their family that when you become a Christian, you're no longer a Navajo. And so a lot of them are afraid that they're going to lose their identity. They're going to lose who they are. One of the teachers that I worked with up in uh, Bernalillo, she's from the Santa Ana Pueblo, and, and I told her that we wanted to bring this cowboy church out. And her first question was, they're not going to convert us, are they? And I was joking with her. I said, yeah, they're gonna, you're not going to use pine anymore. You're going to burn uh, oak from Arkansas. So we're going to convert you from that. But over time, she knew I was a Christian. And throughout that year, I just built a relationship with her. And uh, went into her room one morning. I could tell she was upset. And I asked her what was uh, wrong. And she has a daughter out in California that was ill. And I just asked her, and I didn't know how she was going to respond. I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yeah. So I got to pray with her, and at the end, she was just, she was just crying. And, you know, and that's through that's building that relationship, and that's what's going to have to happen as we begin to start this new ministry with the Pueblos. It's going to be about relationship building. And I know this is going to be a long process. And, and Chad knows me well enough to know I'm, I'm an impatient person. I would love for it to happen next week or next month but I know it's not going to happen that quickly. And so it's, it's going to take relationship building, and we're going to have to find those people that are willing to stand up and say, yes, I want to minister to my people. And then to find those churches, because I've talked to a lot of church leaders who say, Eric, we've tried to reach out to the natives around this area, but we can't break through that barrier. What do we need to do? And so as I talk to the churches and church leaders, I say, you know what? Your role, I believe now, is just to be there for support. As we find those people that can reach out to their people, your role will be there as a church to support them and be that sending church or to be that church that helps plant that, that church near the, near the Pueblos, as Chad was talking about earlier. And so I'm excited about this, about this new ministry. And, and uh, you know, as I look back, it's just been amazing how God has been preparing me for this. You know, just every step of the way. Now when I look back, you know, then I was like, God, what's going on? What are we doing? But now as I look back, I can see that God was preparing me for this time and to begin to, to get me into churches that I know that can help support us in this way and begin to, to do ministry on the Pueblos. And so hopefully you'll be seeing a little more of me, um, you know, in the next several months as, as I work with Hoffman Town Church and work with some of the other churches in the area. But again, I'm just very excited about this ministry. And I would ask that you would just pray, you know, that God will give us the direction that we need to go in because, you know, this is a, this is a very sensitive area. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt a relationship with any of the Pueblos. And so, you know, I, I pray that God will just lead me and just show me how to do this in a way that, that's going to begin to nurture that relationship and not in any way hurt it. Uh, because you guys are probably more familiar, if you're from here with the Pueblos than I am, but the history and how they've been burned a lot of time by, 
by uh, different uh, groups that have come in there. And so, you know, just, just to continue to pray for us, and I think now we're going to open up for a time for a question and hopefully answers, um, but we'll see about that second part. <laughs> yes, sir. I would say that it's probably more severe in others. Um, although in recent studies, I've, um, I've learned and, and there's an indication that there's an insurgence within the Presbyterian denomination, um, but majority of evangelicals, we are the largest. So in essence, many, in many ways, we are setting the pace. So it, I, I, would, I would say that it would be more severe in other settings. Are there some consistent um, things in common among these churches that are in decline? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be the answer. <laughs> no, in, in reality, some, sometimes some indicators... Uh, which we could spend another hour talking about the nuances that are related to that question. But some of the indicators are it's, it's a church that has lost its um, contextual significance to the area that it's in. So 50 years ago, the church was a cross-section of that community. And in a lot of ways, the churches that we're seeing now, um, that whole entire community around them has changed. Um, everybody that continues to go to that church, they, they no longer even live in that community. So they commute to come to this church, and they're doing things the exact same way they did 50 years ago. So the community um, is no longer connected to what they're doing. Now, if they were to move to another location, um, they may have more impact, but I would say that that's an indicator. Um, I would say um, churches that are aging out that don't have young adults with children um, is another indicator, uh, and, and that's a huge population of churches that we see across, across the country where um, there's, there's no natural multiplication with the, even within the church. So those, those would be some primary uh, things that would be very similar across the board. And I know just in Oklahoma alone, just a lot of the Native American churches there, I think out in western Oklahoma, there are close to 50 uh, Native churches out there within the Baptist Association that don't have a pastor. And I know a lot of them that have had to close their doors simply because of what Chad said, that when I was growing up in one of those churches, there was no emphasis on the young families, there was no emphasis on the youth or the kids. Mm -hmm. And as everybody got older, they moved away. And when the older ones passed on, there was nobody to keep the church doors open. So a lot of them have closed their doors just because of that. I'm not going to share the statistic, um, but if you want to research it, you're going to be uh, very disappointed. Uh, it's going to maybe even be staggering the amount of pastors that we have that are graduating with their master's um, and, and even bachelor's degrees that are ready and willing to go out and pastor churches and plant churches. Um, the need for churches that, uh, is, is much greater than the amount of pastors that we have. 
So that would be another indicator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Good question. Yes, sir. <laughs> nice. Inspecting the casinos and the bars in the mm. pueblos around here. Mm -hmm. We'll pray for you. Not an easy <laughs> No. No longer doing that. Yeah. Okay. Not an easy situation. I was privileged in the 80s to go to Tallahena, Oklahoma, yeah. from northeast Texas, well. to uh, help with the Indian Rock Baptist Church there. Mm -hmm. I remember they were saying they needed somebody just to teach the Bible. Yeah. This was in the early 80s. Yeah. I believe. So another thing, I think we all should pray for communities like Dulcing. Yeah. I heard a lady talking some months ago about how there's so much suicide mm -hmm. and drug abuse in that one community. Mm -hmm. And let's see, I don't know if I got this up here all three of them. Yeah. But um, that's yeah. just an example. Yeah. No, yeah, great. yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, especially when I was out the Navajo Reservation, I don't know how many suicides we had in that time that I was out there. And it's, you know, the thing is, it's happening a lot in Indian country. But one thing about Native American families is they're so closed and so they don't want their family business to get outside of that. And, uh, you know, that's just something you don't talk about. So a lot of them aren't reported as, you know, as suicides. But, you know, it is happening. The drug use is happening. And uh, so it's abuse, a, yeah. all, all different yeah. types of abuse, and it's never reported. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Uh, this is for Eric. Sure. Though, I think. Uh, are the children or the adults more receptive when you come out? Right now, it's the adults. Uh, because one thing I really noticed about, especially with the Pueblos, is the. Um, the children really have the hands of the adults on them and what they can and can't do. And so, you know, for us to go and, you know, if we want to do a VBS out there, I think the children would be receptive, but they may not be allowed to go to it right now simply because the adults would say no. But here's one good thing, one good news, is I have a, a friend of mine, he has a church in Missouri, they're coming out this summer to work on the Hamas Pueblo. And uh, the lady that we're working there with us, or working there, is going to allow us to do like a kid's camp there. And so there are some doors opening up. But, you know, I really believe, you know, just like any church, you know, if you have an effective children's ministry, you know, you're going to reach the rest of the family. And so I really think, you know, once we get the blessing and the, you know, and the adults allow us to come in there, yeah, the trust, I really think we're going to be able to really focus on the kids. And, and, and really, you know, take, take that model in there also. But, yeah, it's, you know, right now it's, you know, on the Pueblos, if you live on the Pueblos, you pretty much have to, well, you have to live by their rules and their laws and do what they tell you to do. Uh, I have a friend of mine whose uncle is from the Taos Pueblo, and when he became a believer, they shut off his water source to his house uh, for his cattle, for his, you know, his livestock and his, uh, his garden and stuff. Uh, he's gotten it back. But, you know, that was a big battle that he had with them. And so, you know, it's to become a believer on the Pueblo, it's, you know, it, it's a really big deal. And I think we have a lot of them that are coming off the Pueblo, and I see them in churches, you know, all across Albuquerque, you know, that are coming off the Pueblos because they want that Bible teaching. You know, they want to learn more about God, and they want to, you know, they, they see that, you know, Christianity is, is, is what they want to have in their life. 
you know, they want God there as, as their Savior. And so they're seeing more and more of that. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, as we go into this, we're just going to see what door God opens up first for us, you know, whether it's adults or whether it's the children. And that's the door we're going to burst through. <laughs> what age, age range of adults would you say are most receptive? Uh, I would say, I was going to say my age, but I'm older now. <laughs> I, you know, and, and one of the things that I've seen really out on the Navajo Reservation, too, is there's, a, there's an age range. It's between the, I would say, probably 60 and above, and, and then probably, you know, your middle-aged families are more receptive because they're not really, especially on Navajo Reservation, they're not really sold out to Christianity, and they're not really sold out to their old traditional ways. And so it's that, that age bracket they're in, but I guess the millennials is what I would say are probably more, more receptive to that because they're coming off the Pueblos and working, you know, in Albuquerque and the different areas. So I, I would say probably they're, that age group is more open to it. Yes, sir. So you made a really fascinating comment about them being afraid of losing their identity. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, we know that's actually a reality, right? Yeah. One of the ways that I've approached that in the past is, is like with a lot of people is, you know, my job is, is to present the truth and then I let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Uh, you know, for me to come in there as a, as a Creek tribal member from Oklahoma and say, hey, the way, and, and I know, <laughs> you know, that a lot of things they do in secret are, and I just can be honest with you, and I think I can say this and get away with it. a lot of things that they do in secret with their ceremonies, there's a lot of evil to it. But for me to come in there and begin to blast them with that is just going to push them further into secrecy and push them further away. But you know, I really believe that my job and the job of our church planners come in and just preach the truth. And you know, just like us, when we became a believer, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that you know that we turned away from. And I think you know and that was the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And you know, and that's the same thing that that will happen in this this also. Um, probably a lot of things that they deal with are really deep rooted. So it's going to take a lot of, you know, a lot of discipleship with them, a lot of just, you know, you know, giving them an example of what that life is like, you know, outside of that. And because they're, you know, they're, they're right in between two worlds in basically, you know, they're, you know, they're Pueblo way and then becoming a Christian. And so for a lot of them, that's, you know, that, that's where we lose a lot of them is because that pull back to the Pueblo way and because they still live on the Pueblo is very, very powerful. We got a great, great question. And that's a very, you know, you really have to approach that with, with a lot of sensitivity. And one of the reasons it's really hard for us to determine a clear strategy is because we're, we're removed from that. Our culture does not determine our identity. Mm -hmm. uh, but the native culture, their culture is a part of their religion, which is a part of their identity, mm -hmm. which is a part of their heritage. And, and even if they lose their language, they lose their religion. Okay. So it's, it's all wrapped up where if... You know, none of those things matter to me. And if I lose those things, I'm perfectly fine continuing to move forward in my faith in Christ. But for them, it's, it's a hard jump to get there. But what you said is exactly right. We, we allow the Holy Spirit to do that and, and discipleship and Bible study. And it slowly just begins to make sense because the Spirit's the one that's going to make the change.
our style and it's going to let them do their style. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes along with what's mm -hmm. yep. there. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Music and other Which is another really important thing to to consider in raising up indigenous leaders because if if these are indigenous leaders that and this is Pueblo, this is southern New Mexico, northern New Mexico, rural New Mexico, urban New Mexico. But if they're indigenous, they intuitively, instinctively already know mm -hmm. how to relate to their people. And if they are true believers, they've already walked through that whole disconnect, but being able to connect. Yeah. And so as they lead their people, it's going to be much easier for them uh, than, you know, a, a pseudo-native guy yeah. from Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, 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 even, or even worse, you know, this, this white guy from northeast Texas. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and that's going to be one of our goals, too, is when we plant these churches and these Bible studies is to make them a autonomous. Uh, you know, we don't want a church of Eric Tiger, okay? We want, we want them to take this and, and make it fit to where they're working. So as, a, as autonomous as possible with the support. I still love you, man. I know. <laughs> Anybody else? So where in Northeast Texas are you from? Well, I was going to ask you later. Texarkana. Okay. Yeah? All right. Right on. I've got you beat for Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, sorry. Yes, ma'am, sorry. Just a quick question. Yeah. Are there currently in Bernalillo any evangelical churches? Are you saying about planting one close to the Pueblos? Not in a Native American. There's a First Baptist Church uh, there in, in Bernalillo. But no, uh, not that I'm aware. I know there is a, a men's Bible study. Uh, a friend of mine whose dad is a veteran, he gets together with some other veterans there in Bernalillo. I think they meet once a month. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if there's any people coming from the Pueblo to be a part of that. Uh, there, there, there isn't. Okay. Yeah. Most of the Pueblo people that I've met in the churches, are, they're attending churches here in Albuquerque. And we, we are actively praying. Um, and Bertolio, Placitas area is are, are areas that we are praying and prayer walking through and, and hoping and praying to find people. Uh, persons of peace and homes of peace so that we can begin to, to develop some things in those areas. Let's, uh, thank Eric and Chad for...